Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. Well, absolutely wonderful to be with you. Uh, thanks so much for having me. Uh, Gabby and Andy have um, already asked me to dish the dirt on Tim, uh, which I'd love to do off air, um, but I know what he's like and he'll probably sue me uh, to the hilt. So I'm going to uh, keep stung. Uh, much I'd love to give you an inspiring talk this evening that leaves you full of faith and vision to go and change the world. I want to speak instead on the vitally important place of lament in our lives. Because certainly not for all of us, but I think probably for many of us, this pandemic has led to grief and loss, whether it's the physical suffering or the death of someone close to us, or the loss of a job or a business opportunity, or the loss of relational connection with family and friends, well, some of the sense of loss that I guess most of us can relate to of seeing so many of our plans and dreams lying in ruins. Perhaps it's a wedding that's had to be postponed or holidays cancelled or maybe it's the loss of lectures or exams that you'd prepared incredibly hard for or just a simple ability to celebrate properly the end of the academic year. There's so much loss, so much to grieve. Now, I do need to say, just for the sake of integrity and just to be clear, personally, I'm not suffering anywhere near as much as others. But there have still been days where I've been pretty overwhelmed by the loss of close connection with other people, the loss of routine, the inability to fall back on my strengths to try and navigate a way through, the sense of powerlessness and the pain of seeing people that I love deeply struggling with their mental health. Now I'm aware it's gonna look different for each and every one of us, but whether it's in your own life or the lives of people you know and care about, I think this is a time for grieving. The problem is, rather than express our emotions, I think many of us tend to hide them or distract ourselves from feeling them or even pretend they don't even exist, which means that when difficult circumstances cut into our lives, we're likely to frantically seek out full saviors to try and rescue us. So we perhaps bury ourselves in our work or box sets or our PlayStation game of choice, or a tub of ice cream, or just endlessly scrolling through social media. It's like, we'll do anything but face the pain and the heartache that we feel. But you don't need me to tell you that all of those different escape routes invariably lead us to dead ends. They're merely a way to mask our pain without ever fully healing it. Now here's the thing. 
where our culture urges us to escape our pain, the story of the Bible always and everywhere tells us to embrace it. I mean, if you ever read through the Bible, you'll know it's stuffed full of all of these prayers of lament. Habakkuk lamented the coming judgment on Israel. The book of Lamentations is one long lament. Jesus famously cried out a lament in the Garden of Gethsemane. And the Psalms of Lament, well, these are just incredible poetic songs that have given voice to the sorrow and pains of God's people down through the centuries. And I don't know about you, but I am incredibly grateful that the Bible embraces lament in this way. I'm grateful that it's honest about human experience. I'm grateful that it doesn't settle for some superficially shallow way of describing what's going on and pretend that suffering isn't serious or that it's merely an illusion. But all that being said, I reckon one of the things that has been conspicuously absent in the Western church in recent times is this whole ability to lament. It's like the pressure on us the whole time is to smile and project an image that we're fine and we don't have any doubts and we don't have any struggles and we don't have any anxiety or stress. And so we end up with this weak, fake, less robust version of what the Christian life is really supposed to be, which I'd suggest is absolutely tragic because if there is no category for a Christian to go, I feel abandoned. Uh, I, I know I'm not abandoned. I, I know that God is present. I know he loves me, but I feel stuck right now. If that category does not exist, then what ends up happening is we feel the pressure to project this image of strength that is simply not true. And rather than surrendering to our weaknesses so we might trust the sovereign reign of God all the more, we instead present this false, flimsy, phony image that is powerless to protect us when trouble hits. Which you don't need me to tell you is really damaging. Because I think what tends to happen when we refuse to acknowledge the dark and difficult realities in our lives and in our world is we end up living these self-reliant lives that all the time fail to acknowledge our need for dependency on God, which invariably then sets us on a course for disaster. But I suggest one of the positives that is coming out of this current season is it is shaking us out of this whole way of thinking and slowly but surely showing us that however hard we try, we cannot keep on avoiding pain and loss forever. Sooner or later, we do need to find a way of processing it, which is where the Bible comes in. Because as I've already suggested, it contains this huge catalogue of really practical examples of how to do this. It's like, while the culture around us urges us all the time to escape our pain, 
the story of the Bible tells us to embrace it. And so I want to show you in the time that remains, Psalm 13 serves as this beautiful illustration for us, not only of how to embrace our pain, but also how to find hope in the midst of it. It's a mere six verses long, but as we're going to see, it perfectly models the five main elements to any healthy lament. Let me read it to you. See what you think. Psalm 13, starting in verse 1. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God, give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death and my enemy will say I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. Very quickly, I want to run through just those five stages of David's journey in this lament. Here's the first stage. First thing David does is acknowledge. He simply acknowledges. I don't know if you noticed, but four times he repeat, repeats this simple phrase, how long, how long, how long, how long. It's like... He's frustrated by God's apparent absence and is very quick to express how he feels abandoned by him. In his mind, he's overcome by his enemies, while God is seemingly nowhere to be found. And so what's he do? He pours out his heart to God and he releases the weight of sorrow he's been carrying. You know, I think one of the chief ways that the enemy tries to use pain destructively in our lives is to convince us that we should stop praying to God. And as a result, many believers fall into this resolved silence where there are some things they can pray about, but the real honest things. Now, I could never talk to God about that stuff. And they come to a church Zoom meeting, a bit like this one, where maybe everyone on the screen seems like they've got it all together. And to compound matters, the words of all the worship songs are expressing a whole bunch of positive emotions that are just a million miles from what they're feeling at that moment in time. And no offence to the song we've just sung, and I've got nothing against all of those kinds of songs, but... The challenge is that they don't often speak to the significant number of people who are grieving and wondering, does this even work? But what lament does is allow us to openly and honestly express the loss that we feel directly to God helps us to keep talking to God about our pain instead of allowing pain to become this 
pit that we sink deeper and deeper and deeper into. But in order to do this, we do have to, first of all, acknowledge our pain. That's the first thing. Second thing that David does in this psalm is complain. First of all, he acknowledges. Secondly, he complains. Let's be honest. The whole idea of being a complainer isn't necessarily a very positive one, is it? And don't get me wrong. You can complain sinfully. I can't stress how serious it is that we balance our complaints with reverence and fear before God. But I would suggest that there is a way of complaining that is very appropriate for Christians. Because we believe in God's promises, don't we? And yet, life doesn't always fit with what we know to be true, does it? It's like we, we live with this tension. God, I know that you're good, but this is really hard. God, I know you've promised to be with me, but I just don't feel like you're near me right now. And so out of this tension, David raises this complaint to God. How long, oh Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? It's as though the Bible gives us permission to take our complaint to God and say to him, God, this is the honest situation. This is the reality of what I am feeling. And by the way, God is not the least bit surprised when you tell him what you've been feeling. I think it's one of the crazy things about these complaints. I find it so hard sometimes to tell God what I'm feeling, only to be reminded that none of it was news to him that I was feeling that way in the first place. David starts by acknowledging, then he brings his complaint. And then Third thing he does is make a request of God. Now, if you think about it, pretty much the whole of Psalm 13 is grounded in David's beliefs about God's character and God's nature. I mean, the whole reason he cries out to God is surely because he believes that God can actually change his situation. On top of that, God's repeated promises to provide for his good help convince him that through it all, God is still committed to him. And so, empowered by these truths, in verses 3 and 4, David fearlessly asks God for deliverance. Now, I guess probably all of us can think of situations in our own life maybe in the lives of people close to us, that we long to see change, but at the same time, we're powerless to bring this change on our own. However, in our lament, we're reminded that what seems impossible to us is possible for God. And like with David, 
our relationship with God is very much grounded in promises that encourage us to confidently appeal to him to intervene in our lives today. Now, here's what tends to happen. As we pluck up the confidence to ask, we're not only pulling the promises into our world, but also reminding ourselves that deep down, I do believe this because I'm asking. It's like, I don't have to fully believe first before I ask. Very often I have to ask so that I'll believe. See, that's what lament does. It helps us. It strengthens us. And then fourthly, it moves us to a place of trust. So from a place of pain and anguish, David ends up being able to say to God, verse five, but I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. And so instead of giving God the silent treatment or falling into either despair, like I can't do this, or just denial, like everything's fine, lament encourages us to talk to God about our struggles so that we can reaffirm our trust in him. And I suggest that ultimately, this is where all laments are designed to lead. It might take a while. And of course, there is always Psalm 88 that ends without any hope whatsoever. Simply concludes, darkness is my closest friend. The end. But normally speaking, if you don't end in a place of trust, you haven't fully lamented. You've just been sad. So acknowledge, complain, request, trust. And then fifthly and finally, David ends his prayer of lament with a declaration of praise. But notice his praise isn't what God will do, it's what he has already done. I will sing to the Lord, David says, for he has been good to me. And so in spite of his pain, David chooses to praise God for the many ways he's already blessed him. Now look, in life, there is no joy without sorrow. The whole fallenness of our world guarantees that those two dynamics will always be interconnected until the day Jesus returns. And so our goal shouldn't be to just as hard as we can live a life devoid of pain and loss, but instead to be people who remember and rejoice over the blessings of God, even in the midst of pain and loss. I'll end with this. I used to think of my heart as being a bit like a cup. Now under normal circumstances you can fill a cup either with tea or coffee or something else but you wouldn't usually want to fill your cup with both at the same time. Now here's the point. When people are anxious or fearful, or sad, as I think so many of us are right now, you sometimes get well-intentioned friends offering biblical encouragements like, do not be afraid, or don't be anxious. 
It's like the underlying assumption is that the heart is a cup that is full of fear or anxiety that needs to be emptied out of all of those emotions so that it can then be filled with alternative emotions, which sounds great in theory, but I think is fundamentally flawed in at least two different ways. First of all, it fails to understand that sorrow and fear and anxiety aren't always sinful emotions. In fact, these emotions may actually be appropriate emotional responses to the situation we're facing. Second, this metaphor fails to appreciate that from a truly biblical perspective, we are still living in days of sorrow. Yes, we're very much looking forward to the day when all tears are wiped from our face once and for all. But that day is still yet to come. And so I'd humbly suggest it's not actually all that helpful thinking of the heart as a cup. It's better to think of the heart more like a set of balancing scales. You know, the kind I mean that the sort used as a symbol for justice, where the two sides weigh different arguments in order to reach a true and accurate judgment. Now, I suggest that a proper use of biblical encouragements and exhortations should very much take this into account. You see, the encouragements, don't be afraid or don't be anxious, they are not intended as a rebuke at least not in every case. I simply don't think we're being told to pour out the contents of our heart and then fill them with something else. Not least, because that can cause a tremendous amount of false guilt for believers who can't just stop feeling anxious or fearful or sad, however hard they try. Instead, these encouragements, I think, should be offered as counterweights as in i know your heart is rightly heavy with sorrow due to the loss of some good things that it's overwhelmed by threatening circumstances that it's uncertain of what tomorrow may bring however let me offer you a counterweight not to remove all those emotions but to place them in a larger reality the reality of god's sovereign goodness his attention, his purposes, which offer solid reasons for hope and encouragement. Do you see what's happening here? These counterweights don't remove the other weights. Instead, they provide a different perspective that enables us to bear the other weights of sorrow and anxiety and fear in a godly manner, even while still feeling intense grief and pain. All of which, I think, provides a helpful foundation for understanding the tremendous value of lament. As I've tried to show you, the laments in the Bible do way more than just voice painful emotions. The Psalms of lament in particular, they go further than just releasing pent up emotions. They're more than mere catharsis within themselves, these psalms are a theology, a doxology, a form of worship. They're reminders of truth. They're exercises in faith. They are deeply transformative. They're a means of balancing 
the very real sorrow and grief we feel with the equally real goodness and faithfulness of God. Now look, my hope and prayer is that in some way, God uses what I've just shared to motivate and equip you to embrace the gracious gift of lament, whatever life throws at you in the days, the weeks, the months, the years to come. Now it's over to you.